This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to episode 9 in the series entitled Tumultuous Times. This week we're going to talk about the Battle of Armageddon and the Second Coming. So already we've talked talked about the signs that are coming, which point to the coming tribulation period, which was also the topic of our third week. Fourth week, we talked about the rapture of the church. The fifth week, we talked about the Antichrist. And then weeks six through eight, we covered the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments in separate podcasts. After the bowl judgments, and actually the sixth bowl judgment then sets up the Battle of Armageddon. And it's actually in chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. The demonic spirits that are unleashed during this bold judgment actually gather the armies of the earth together to a place to war against God himself. And Armageddon is quite interesting, is a translation from a Hebrew phrase, I guess you could call it, that goes that says Har-Megiddo, H-A-R-M-E-G-G-I-D-O. And basically it means the hill of Megiddo. And what's so interesting about this, it's an actual place. So it's not anything that, you know, is ethereal that you can't see right now that is going to take place in the future. It is a literal place where you can go today. It's 30 miles south of a city called Haifa in a place called the Jezreel Valley. What's interesting is that there is a Bible teacher in the world of Bible prophecy. His name is Amir Safadi. And he often remarks that basically he goes and sits on his porch. And I, I can't remember if it's his porch or his backyard porch or whatever. Regardless of that fact, his house actually looks over and he can actually see this valley. There have been generals that have fought wars throughout all of ancient history in this place. Napoleon fought there. Alexander the Great fought there. As a matter of fact, I believe it was Alexander the Great that said that it was a great tactical battlefield to conduct battle. So it's quite interesting that basically that the demonic spirits that are unleashed go there to pronounce war against God himself. So if you can imagine, basically, the armies of the earth gather to make war with a supernatural being, it's actually quite, quite audacious, to be quite honest. In the following chapter, in chapter 17 and into verse 18, there is a pronouncement following the bold judgments about the fall of the false religious system. And basically, God likens it to Babylon the Great and also calling it a great harlot. And as a matter of fact, several times throughout the Old Testament, God would call Israel a harlot or a whore for following after other gods and specific examples are in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 16, Judges verse 2 verse or I'm sorry, Judges chapter 2 verse 17 and Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 15. And basically what it is is um it's also following in line with a Romans 1 style judgment. Um I've talked about that before where basically false religion has kept mankind deceived for so long but oftentimes Mankind wanted that deception because of the Romans one style judgment that I have talked about before, basically where sinful desires then give way to shameful lusts, then give way to a depraved mind, basically where God turns them over to this progression of 
sinful life that leads somebody completely and totally away from the one true God. And in a sense, God gives up on them in a form of a judgment. And God uh, declares a pronouncement against that false religious system. Likewise, there is a pronouncement against the world system in general that sets itself up against God. It's kind of like everywhere you go, you see nothing but, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll to be to so to speak basically it's everything that follows can everything that follows in the sense of wanting to fulfill the desires of the flesh and that's in uh in chapter 18 verses 21 through 24 basically in that last verse in verse 24 it says fallen is the system where the blood of the prophets and god's holy people is found this system this world system basically secular government to be quite honest was responsible for the systematic slaughter of God's people throughout the centuries, and now God calls it judged. And the people in heaven rejoice that God has overthrown a deceptive false religion and the world that was contrary to God in chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. And I know that a lot of people who aren't Christians will sit there and say, see, this is just a bunch of Christians that are gloating over people who don't believe the same thing as they do. But the thing of it is, if we believe, if we happen to believe in the one system that is the truth, and that will happen, well, and we see that that whole system and that world system, whether it be the religion or the systematic secular government, that stood itself contrary to what God had always proclaimed man do throughout the centuries, and we finally see that fall, and we see our God is about to set up his kingdom and dominion. Well, of course, there's going to be rejoicing. We've talked about that before, where basically, if God does all that he does for humanity, and he is forbearing against sinful actions that human beings have taken against him over decades of their life, and they have the gospel readily available to them, not only that, but say you're listening to this podcast, and if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not only listening to a podcast about Bible prophecy that is foretold to come to pass. We've already talked about Israel being the super sign that was foretold in Ezekiel chapter 37 would be reborn after having been dispersed. And in 1948, they came back to, into existence as a corporate nation and has stood up against just insurmountable odds. I think, you know, I believe it was the Six Day War in 1967 where they fought off a whole bunch of folks. As a matter of fact, in 1948, when they first came in, into being, they were immediately attacked. And after having watched a documentary about that, there is nothing short of the intervention of God that allowed for an Israeli victory. So we see all that come to pass. And you have a Bible reader and BibleGateway.com, and you have all sorts of Bible apps that you can download on these smartphones that I know you have available to you. In, since you're listening to this podcast, and if you still reject Jesus Christ, there is no amount of judgment that would never be justifiable against you. In other words, any judgment that God pronounces is completely, utterly, and totally justified. And so the occupants of heaven at that time rejoice that God now reigns, that God is now victorious, okay? 
Not only that, but the wedding of the lamb and the bride is announced in verses six through nine of chapter 19. Now, this isn't like, you know, your typical wedding that you would think of where a man and a woman come together and they get married and then they go off to, you know, have carnal relations and have children and stuff like that. The the wedding, the, the marital relationship was always meant to be a picture of the bride and the church. Okay. That culminates in chapter 19. It was an allegory. So, you know, a lot of, I've, I have heard a lot of believe, or I'm sorry, non-believers talk about how, oh, you know, that that's kind of weird. You know, Jesus wants to have sex with you for eternity. No, it's not like that. It's a spiritual union that we are joined together with Christ unto eternity. And that is pronounced in verses six through nine. And as a matter of fact, verse eight tells us totally who this bride is. It says that the bride was given fine linen, bright and clean to wear. And then it goes on to go ahead and translate what that was. And that is, these are the righteous acts of God's people. So clearly these are people who were raptured before the tribulation occurred or who died in Christ while the tribulation was going on. And they went up into heaven, basically before the throne of God. These were also the same people who cried out to God to avenge them in the fifth seal judgment, basically um, asking God to avenge their blood that was totally shed while they were on earth. And just a brief side note in regard to that, the reason why there are saints that are killed during the tribulation isn't that the church goes through that time period, because in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and also 5.9, we are told that we are going to be rescued from the wrath to come. And it was sandwiched in between this the longest passage in the New Testament about the rapture of the church. So it, cor it correlates that we're going to be rescued from wrath with the rapture of the church. The people who are killed during the tribulation went into the tribulation as unbelievers, but because of what the 144,000 Jewish evangelists did in Revelation chapter 7, I believe, and then the um, the uh, two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, there is a, and also there was a, uh, an angel going about preaching the gospel during the trumpet judgments. So you have people that are saved during the tribulation, but they didn't become saved until after the tribulation began. So whereas the church goes through trials and tribulations on this earth, and this is our testing ground, say from uh, when I was saved in 1993, all the way up to present time, anything I've gone through in that time frame and my perseverance in the Lord is my proving ground. Whereas during the tribulation, it's a very compacted period of time. And in essence, you have to be willing to die for the Lord. OK, so that's why the church that is raptured and then those who die in the Lord during the tribulation, these are the ones who are called the bride of Christ in chapter 19 verses 6 through 9 and immediately after that wedding comes the second coming of jesus christ so the heavens are opened and there is a rider of a white horse that is portrayed in in verse 15 and immediately goes into a a long detailed description of who this rider is so contrasted with revelation 6 1 through 2 this rider of the white horse is purely and totally identified as Jesus Christ himself. And also, there are people who are riding with him, and they are identified in verse 15 
as those who were in verse 8. So this is the church that is also riding with him or also the uh, tribulation saints that were killed during the tribulation. And they go and ride against those who are gathered to war against God himself. So we talked about earlier in this podcast about how the sixth bull judgment was the demonic spirits being let loose to lead the kings of the earth and their armies to Har Megiddo to do battle with God himself. And basically what I just talked about where Jesus Christ rides down on a white horse and then we follow him. We're going to meet that army that is basically, and this is basically called the Battle of Armageddon or the Battle of Armageddon. Okay. And the thing of it is, is the people that are gathered there, as I said before, they're there to war against God himself. They're not there to war against each other. They're there to war against God himself. And these were demons who brought him these armies and these leaders out to do so in Revelation chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. It tells us that the thing of it is, is that we don't have to really do much at all because Jesus is the one who conquers them all. The scripture says in verse 21 of chapter 19 that he slays them by the word correction, the sword of his mouth. If you correlate that with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the same entity, the same being that is spoken of in John chapter 1, verse 1, and also in verse 14 of chapter 1. And then also is portrayed in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Jesus is God, okay? We could go into a, another podcast for another day and talk about the Trinity. There is one God that exists eternally as three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we also talked about during the Antichrist podcast where Satan tries to emulate that Trinity by obviously Satan, the Antichrist, and then the false prophet. Okay. So this is Jesus Christ being the one who spoke the universe into existence. Okay. He is able to slay his enemies by the word of his mouth. He could probably just say, die, and they would die, and they would be destroyed. The Antichrist and the false prophet are captured immediately and thrown into the lake of fire, which is declared to be eternal punishment. Satan, however, is not thrown into the lake of fire immediately. He's actually thrown into the abyss and is said to be in prison for a thousand years. That's in chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It should be stated that the armies of the earth, all the armies of the earth and all the weapons of war that we have and all the nuclear weapons stockpiles that we have are no match for Jesus Christ. He's God. He is God. So in essence, this is the finality of the book of Revelation. To it, In a sense, God has totally manifest his purpose in the tribulation god has taken his church out of the way he has revealed through the scriptures uh, a man who will rise up and try to take the place of jesus christ and in essence becomes a romans one style judgment to the world which then unleashes the seal trumpet and bowl judgments upon the earth whereby they are gathered at the battle of Armageddon or armageddon and then Jesus totally defeats them at the second coming, where he actually literally returns to the earth. So if somebody says, you know, hey, um, the Messiah is over here at the compound in Waco, 
or he's over here at this house, come drink some Kool-Aid with us to go, go uh, be gathered to the UFO in the sky or something like that. Jesus Christ is going to return in the same way that he was taken up into heaven. I believe it was stated in Acts chapter one. So this is something where um, I believe it's talked about in the book of Zechariah, where basically the signs and the, uh, the sign of the of the coming Lord, which causes the earth to the tribes of the earth to mourn. I've totally butchered that. Um, and like I've said before, sometimes I can remember what a, a verse says, paraphrase, and I can kind of remember where it's at. But regardless of the fact that the tribes of the earth will mourn because of the one whom they have pierced. That's that's the verse I'm looking for. And basically, this is the culmination of God's vengeance upon the earth. So it's kind of quick. It's kind of it's not as detailed as some of the other podcasts, because quite frankly, you know, Jesus can dispatch his enemies with with a spoken word and it really doesn't take much. So it's kind of like why in the world would he go to this trouble? Well, he goes to this trouble to not only to glorify himself and cause his people to worship him. And it does. It absolutely does. As I go through this, it makes me very thankful for his grace. It makes me very thankful for his mercy. And that's another thing, too, that has been brought up. You know, we wouldn't know what his mercy was without his wrath. We wouldn't know about his great love for us without knowing his hatred of sin. So one side of or I guess I could say an attribute of God displays another attribute of God. So we see love proportioned against wrath because it is the wrath of God against sin that makes his love just so fantastic for us. So we always want to keep that in mind whenever we're reading stuff about the end times, the end of the world, uh, the book of Revelation. A lot of people are scared of this book. And to be quite honest, it's, it's kind of a shame because in chapter one of Revelation, it says that blessed are those who hear this word of prophecy for this time is near. And, you know, going through this and preparing these podcasts and especially going through the judgments of the book of Revelation, it's tough because you're talking about people that are going to be judged Killed and sent to hell, ultimately sent to the lake of fire. And we'll go over that with uh, the eternal, the thousand year reign of Christ in the eternal state next week. Um, and then the subsequent final judgment of everybody on earth. And it's tough to listen to. And I always have to remind myself. And that's why I created, I'm going to create a, uh, or actually did create a podcast, <laughs> a tidbit um, entitled, Why is the why are the judgments and revelations so severe? And that is the total reason behind it is because God gives us everything. He has provided so much for us. And if we don't in turn recognize that, turn and be reconciled to him in Jesus Christ, because it is, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift that's claimed by faith. It's, it's, you don't have to, you know, go walking on glass. We don't have to climb the Himalayas. We don't have to, you know, go through a life of service. And then maybe we can get eternal life. We get eternal life and then we do good works from that. We do good works from the gift of God that He's given us in salvation. So we don't have to sit here and do all these things first to get the gift. We get the gift and then we do all these things because of the gift that we've received. Because, oh my gosh. Now we're secure, safe, and sound in Jesus Christ, and now we just express our gratitude, thanks, and our faith through good works. So the book of Revelation is not something that we should 
be scared of. It's not something that can't be understood. It's something that God wants us to understand. And realistically speaking, with some time, diligence, and study, you can understand the book of Revelation. And hopefully, my my hope is in doing this series is that you're able to understand it, you're able to grasp it, and you're able to receive that blessing that God promised for those who hear the word of prophecy that is contained in the book of Revelation. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life, and I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do, and your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God, and you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.